Hello, you're listening to a podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. My name's Thomas Dixon, and in this episode, I'm going back to school. Specifically, to Napier Primary Academy in Kent, one of eight schools taking part in a pilot programme called Developing Emotions. It's a collaboration between the TCAT Multi-Academy Trust and the Living with Feeling Project here at Queen Mary. Our aim is to think a bit differently about feelings in the classroom. So whether you're a teacher, a parent, or just interested in how feeling and learning interact, the next 20 minutes will give you an insight into a different approach to developing emotions in a school setting. Year three and year five children have been taking our lessons so far, expanding their vocabularies and learning all sorts of new things about emotions. Um, Now, in what follows, thanks to the magic of audio, you're going to be hearing from two versions of me. There's this me, the one you're listening to, doing the voiceover, and then there's the live-action me, talking about the lessons during my visit to Napier School. Working in a school environment, there are lots of um, emotions running high at any point in the day, ranging from absolute pure joy, frustration, and that can be frustration in the learning. A lot of children um, feel anxious. And think we've, you know, we've got nearly 600 children in this school, so um, it's a very busy place. This is Rebecca Hudson, one of the teachers that I spoke to at Napier Primary Academy. In school there are children who deal with emotions in so many different ways. Some children block out everything that's going on around them. That makes it really difficult for them to express what it is that they're feeling. And for some children, it can take hours to get to the real crux of what's going on. And it may be something so simple, might be something like they've just been sitting in class and they've realised that later on it's their favourite lesson, it's PE, and they've forgotten their PE kit. And that's the trigger. For the child, there's no way for them to express their emotions and they just completely block everybody out and stop themselves joining in anything and they're just going to shut down. Other children express their emotions physically. They might lash out sometimes. Some of our children really need to put themselves in small spaces. So whatever emotion they might be feeling, they will seek out a small space. Understanding feelings can be very difficult when you don't have the words to describe them and you're unsure whether it's okay to express them. This is where the history of emotions can help, as Live Action Thomas will now explain. So the history of emotions, as the name suggests, is looking to the past uh, to try and understand our feelings and emotions, uh, and looking at how different societies and different cultures in different periods have understood human feelings. So one thing you can do through history is look at changing languages, terminology, vocabulary, and that's really interesting, and something that translates quite easily to school children who always love to learn new words and to find out old words and where they came from. Uh, another thing you can do in the history of emotions is look more broadly at cultural change to do with what was acceptable or not in terms of expressing your emotions. So d- 
So, for instance, in some periods, people have been much more expressive and are much more inclined to weep and laugh and kiss and express themselves in public. And in other periods and times, you might think especially of the British stiff upper lip in the kind of mid-20th century, there's been a whole culture of kind of restraint and, and not showing your feelings. And again, that translates quite well into the classroom. Different children will have different kind of standards of what is a normal and healthy and good way to show their feelings. And through history, you can kind of get at that and illustrate to them that there's a whole range of different ways that human societies have expressed feelings. If we can open up that emotional world for them, we're giving them the space to be able to say, okay, I'm feeling this, but actually it's okay. And I can share that with my teacher because I now know what it's called. And if I can share it, then I can talk about it. For those children that really struggle to express their emotions in a way which enables them to carry on with the school day like every other child in the classroom. These lessons could be such a powerful tool for them. We started to design the Developing Emotions lessons after listening to comments like these from the brilliant teachers at the schools taking part. We didn't want the main focus of our lessons to be the child's own feelings, as might be the case in a circle time discussion or in the Personal, Social, Health and Economic Curriculum, or PSHE. Talking about emotions in the PSHE curriculum makes sense from one point of view, but it does tend to place feelings in quite a limited and sometimes slightly sterile context. On top of this, for a child to talk about very personal feelings and emotions can be quite distressing, scary or embarrassing. So our lessons use history, drama, science and other subjects to introduce different ways to understand emotions, but without it always being either about the child's own feelings or about their well-being. Art lessons turned out to be one really good way of doing this. So, today we're going to do some angry art. So do you remember we did, we did that feeling blue art, didn't we? We listened to that really depressing Mozart song where we all felt like we wanted to cry on Friday afternoon. The voice you can hear is Holly Hodsell, a Year 5 teacher at Napier, whose class was taking one of our lessons about anger and revenge. So this one is the painting from the year 15, in the 1500s, so that's a long time ago, okay? So now what I want you to do is you're going to have a look at this painting with your partner, have a discussion, what can you see happening in that picture? <laughs> So the developing emotions lessons are grounded in a kind of humanities-based approach to emotions. Uh, not exclusively humanities, but that's kind of where I'm coming from, and that's the kind of core of it, history, arts, literacy, vocabulary, and also taking in science um, and medicine as well. The reason I emphasise that it's grounded in the humanities is the humanities tend to emphasise difference. Humanities tend to be better than the sciences at recognising cultural and individual difference. Um, and so these lessons are designed to recognise the fact that we don't all have the same emotions. So one of the ways in which Inside Out, which is a great film, is wrong, is that we do not all have the same emotions. Uh, and that within a, even an individual classroom will clearly be the case. Um, different children, whether they're neurotypical or not, will have different experiences of different feelings, quite a wide range with any given classroom. And these lessons are designed to help children recognise that um, and to learn their own emotional vocabularies and their own ideas taken from all sorts of different areas um, about 
difference as well as sameness. So it's always this back and forth between, to some extent, we all have the same feelings in a way. I can recognize or I can think I can recognize when you are angry or happy or ecstatic or incandescent with rage, but I might be wrong. Um, and the different people experience things in different ways and we should never forget that difference. A lot of people might say this is very similar to a PSHE lesson. Um, however, we are making a very clear distinction between a developing emotions lesson and a PSHE lesson. In PSHE, the children talk about their experiences. They talk about um, keeping themselves safe in, in their environment. They talk about feel when they have experienced feelings. However, I think a developing emotions lesson isn't necessarily about the children thinking about when they've experienced that emotion. It's simply giving them the tools to be able to name an emotion, learning about the history of an emotion, why we feel that emotion, how it's represented to us, how we express ourselves in certain ways. A lot of the sources that they're looking at, a lot of the activities that they're doing are based on cross-curricular topics such as art, science, drama, history. The lessons even include a bit of Latin too. So many words that we now use as well have their roots from Latin. So, what you're so although these lessons are about feelings, they build upon very traditional curriculum areas, from vocabulary and spelling to history, art and philosophy. In that lesson, when they were, they were learning about philosophers, the children were able to pull on their learning from the previous term, which had been the Greeks. So they knew all about philosophers. Immediately, they were hooked into learning about emotions and the Greeks, or they're learning about art. And it just shows them that actually everything is so interconnected, as well as their own emotions. Everything that we do in life is connected to our emotions just like all of the topics that we learn in school are interconnected and they're able to pull on so much knowledge that they already know. And yeah, it's so many different references. And here we think we've got a dagger, is that what we're thinking? Yeah, yeah. 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 A dagger there. Um, what, what do you think they're fighting about? I think the team are trying to steal because one of them has got a, a pot in his hand and the other one's like trying to steal something. So he could be stealing the pot, I like that. One of the classes we saw today, we were looking at um, a painting by Hieronymus Bosch of ira, or rage, as a deadly sin in the 15th century. And then we asked the children, without much information, what do you think is going on in this picture? And they came up with all sorts of things that I hadn't thought of, about there were two guys who were jealous of each other because they were fighting over the woman and they both wanted to marry her, as one of the children put it. Um, which hadn't occurred to me as an interpretation of it. And we then got them connecting their emotional vocabularies and understandings with this historical representation of something really quite different. And if we'd had all day to talk to them about it, we could have got more. And later in the week, their teacher will be getting more uh, into the history of it with them. Like, what was a deadly sin? What was the kind of moral framework in the Middle Ages that made that image meaningful um, in a way that's recognisable to us, but different um, from us? Words and feelings develop together. So at the heart of the developing emotions approach is an emphasis on vocabulary. What's the difference, for instance, between being outraged and being irritated? Or between contentment and joy? If children want to either tame or to claim their emotions, first they need to name them. Developing their vocabulary around emotions, we're giving them the tools to be able to name how they feel rather than 
showing in a way which becomes a bit destructive. Today they were talking about the difference between anger and aggression. A lot of the children think that because they feel angry, the way to express that is through aggression. And actually there's lots of other ways that we can express ourselves. This is an example where history can just slightly, hopefully, kind of give us an alternative perspective. The singular category of anger is quite a modern thing, 19th, 20th century. Even if you go back to Charles Darwin, who to some extent is a pioneer of the kind of basic emotions approach, trying to find universal human emotions, even he doesn't think there's just one emotion called anger. He thinks there are at least three or four different kinds of indignation, outrage, uh, and so on. that are subtly different from each other. Then you go back even further, if you look at the, the categories in Latin and Greek and in other cultures that we might translate as anger today, one of them is the Latin term ira, which the children here today were talking about and learning about. That really isn't the same as anger in modern psychology. Uh, ira is primarily a desire for revenge. It's primarily about wanting to get revenge and enjoying the thought of having revenge. It's a kind of feeling that is very bound up with a kind of honour culture, that, you know, I have been slighted and insulted and I will get my revenge. Now, we might be able to see parallels between modern anger and that, but I would suggest that's not the same emotion. And it's quite instructive to, to look across time and say, well, that's sort of a bit like anger, but, it, but it's not the same. And so how will that change the way I feel my feelings? For those of us whose school days are now a distant memory and whose teachers never asked us how we were feeling anyway, setting aside classroom time to learn about the history and expression of emotions might seem like a strange idea. Shouldn't children be doing proper subjects like algebra or grammar? Surely emotions are something they should deal with at home, with their parents or their friends, not at school. But in fact, there are good reasons why the academic atmosphere of the classroom may be a very good place to learn about feelings. If you're teaching children about anger when they are angry, all they're going to be thinking about is themselves. If you teach children about anger when they're not angry, when they are quite content, feeling safe, they are going to be able to maybe recognise the triggers of anger or recognise why people are angry or um, be able to understand it in a much more considered way. If they, if they can't name their emotion, if they don't understand it, they don't know where it's come from, they're going to feel completely out of control, they're going to be flailing, and that's going to magnify that feeling, when actually it could be solved by reflecting on, on how they feel. One of the things we're doing with these lessons is trying to encourage schools to reflect on the fact that they are providing a second emotional community for each child. So the first emotional community they've experienced from birth at home normally. Uh, and then in school, they're experiencing a new one with a different set of rules and a different set of words. So what we're trying to do is encourage the school to become a more reflective emotional space as well and to use the curriculum, history, literacy, music, drama, philosophy and other subject areas to provide children with the tools to articulate and sort of live in and reflect on that second emotional community that they find themselves in, um, which then will become a, a distinct kind of emotional space from them. And, but they're doing it anyway, you know, negotiating between a set of expectations at home, 
about how you might feel and express your feelings to a different set of expectations at school. And so what we're doing is giving them some tools to extend their vocabulary, but also to reflect a bit on that. If you're only learning about those feelings when you're feeling them, you're not going to be able to reflect on your actions, on your feelings when you're feeling them. Surely there's got to be a time when you have the opportunity to learn about that feeling when you're not feeling it. The same safe space that you learn, you learn maths, you learn English, you learn art. Why shouldn't that be the space that you learn about emotions? Just look at it anyways. Just describe what you've drawn and why you've drawn that. Well, I've done um, it with um, the colours all together because I feel like anger is with it where it's all clumped up and like it just like all wants to be together. Whereas sadness, it like just floats around. The voice you can hear is one of the Year 5 children at Napier describing the difference between anger and sadness. She's explaining how they feel in your body and also how you might represent them in art. Observing Miss Hodsell's class, I experienced all sorts of emotions myself. Wonder, joy, astonishment and delight at the imaginative ways the children found to draw and describe and talk about their feelings. I think at the beginning, they were probably not as um, able to discuss the different topics that arise in the lesson. And now, as we're getting through the sequence, some of them were so eloquent in the way that they were talking. For me, the primary purpose of the history of emotions is liberation. It is freeing us from the particular psychological categories and the particular theories about the mind and mental health that we in the 21st century are being taught. Now I'm not saying those theories are wrong, I'm just saying it's one really narrow slice of history in one particular period and culture. And it is mind expanding and freeing and liberating to discover this whole other range of ways of talking about and expressing and representing uh, human feelings. I hope this podcast has made you feel curious, perhaps surprised or even excited about the Developing Emotions lessons and how they can promote emotional literacy and awareness in schools. To find out more about the wide range of emotions covered in our lessons and to download all the resources, please visit emotionslab.org forward slash schools and you can email us at emotions at qmul.ac.uk. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which is part of the Living with Feeling project and generously supported by the Wellcome Trust. It was presented by me, Thomas Dixon, and produced by Emma Barnaby. It was a Whistledown production.